Hello, everyone, and welcome to another interview for The Fight Site. Today, we have another one of our special guests. We've got Victor Henry from Ryzen Fighting Championships, and we also have another guest, fellow Fight Site staff member, Phil. Uh, there's no way I can pronounce your last name, so I'll let you do it. <laughs> yeah, my name is Philippe Bouchard Marquette. How are you guys? I'm doing all right, man. Awesome. Uh, before we begin, don't forget to check out thefightsite.com. You're going to be treated to a plethora of phenomenal articles by fantastic writers and analysts. Uh, also, check out the Patreon, the podcasts. Uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Make sure you give us a positive rating, like, comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel, all of that. And definitely subscribe to the Patreon because there's a lot of extra content that you're available for you and you get access to the Discord channel. Whew. Okay, Victor, how are you doing today? How's everything? Uh, it's good, man. Um, you know, Southern California's weather is always really nice. And, you know, I burn up easy. So even when it's really nice, I'm freaking hot all the damn time. So, <laughs> you know, but it's better than being fucking cold. So we're good. Oh, damn. I agree with that. You can always add another layer. You can only get naked. Yeah. In <laughs> context, too. Yeah. <laughs> So let's just jump right into it. We only have you for roughly 30 minutes. So I, I wanted to definitely ask you about your, your, your upbringing, your story. It's one that more people should hear because it's, it's a fascinating one. Tell us about your life, your upbringing, and how you got into martial arts. All right. Well, um, I grew up in L.A. during the uh, you know, early 90s and everything. So I went through all that. As far as you know, the LA riots and the uh, the gangs that were going on at the time, and you know, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm pretty light skinned. And uh, my dad, my dad, half being half, you know, my dad is Mexican, so being half Mexican, you know, and showing only the white side, uh, a lot of people just assumed, oh, he's the, the crazy white kid, you know. And uh, a lot of the parents wouldn't let their kids play with me, not because I was white, because I had a lot of energy. So they called me B Diablo, because my mom called me BW. Because she they, she didn't want to call me Victor because I was you know obviously I'm, I'm a little kid, she didn't want to you know uh, she didn't want to call me by a by a manly name when I was a child, so she called me VW, which W means Wesley. Mm -hmm. So all the parents heard that, so they started calling me V Diablo, which means be devil in Spanish, <laughs> and uh, you know so I had a you know I had a handful of friends and you know growing up in you know L.A. and having the drive-bys and the, uh, and all the other gang violence that was going on, you know, it, it kind of shaped me not to, not to be like that in a sense to where I was always made to feel different anyways. And, you know, you can only go so many directions with that. I chose to accept the fact that I was different and just doing things my own way. Um, which eventually led me to skateboarding and finding friends in skateboarding. And then, of course, martial arts as soon as I graduated from junior high. Uh, just briefly, I, uh, I started doing Taekwondo because the high school that I was going to didn't have a football program. Now, I'm 5'7", 150 pounds of massive human being. So, obviously, football is not really going to be my, uh, my forte. But, you know, luckily for me, there was a local Taekwondo center. Started training there, and then as soon as I kicked one of my friends in the head, I knew this was for me, you know. And mind you, at this time, I was still skateboarding. I was still part of some sports programs at my school, but you know, it was nothing was like kicking my friend, you know, and him kick, kicking me back. After a while of uh, of doing that, I got my black belt, got kicked out of my house for some girl problems, and then uh, started doing grappling over in Riverside, no, Marina Valley. Once I did that, moved back down to my mom's over here in L.A. and then started uh, grappling over it with the Gracies in the Torrance Academy. After that, started started going to the Legends Mixed Martial Arts. From there, eventually met Josh Barnett. And the rest is history. Um, well, jumping out of that, I, I, I mean, that's a hell of a history. Uh, one thing I wanted to, speaking briefly on that history, one thing that stuck out to me in that portrait was, are we ever going to see you have the beehive haircut again? Probably. Probably, <laughs> man. I mean, I'm down with it. 
I'm down. Uh, I mean, right now, I mean, you know, with every, with all this, you know, for me personally, I actually had an argument with Josh with this before because I always let my hair grow out. I just, I don't care for doing it. I don't care for putting gel in it. It's just for me, whatever. You know, I'm gonna go train anyways. All that gel is gonna come out. I'm gonna go take a nap and then I'm gonna go to work or I'm gonna go train again. Why am I gonna throw my hair up? So for me, I was like, dude, I'm just gonna grow my hair out. He goes, dude, it just costs too much to maintain. I'm like, how? What do you mean it costs too much to maintain? I'm just gonna let my hair grow. And he goes, what about haircuts? I was like, I'm letting my hair grow. There's no haircuts when you're letting your hair grow. You know, and I was like, dude, I mean, I know guys that go away like every two weeks, you know, and their barber probably hooks them up 20 bucks, 20 bucks, you know, 20 bucks every two weeks, 20, 40, 60, 80. Meanwhile, I'm looking like this. I spent a big fat zero, you know, <laughs> taking machines to my face and I'm saving money, you know. So that's the way I see it. He was like, nah, but you know, you gotta look presentable. I was like, bro, I am presentable. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta look presentable for your job of of uh, fighting in a ring. I, I, I yeah. definitely <laughs> listen as a Jew on a spiritual level. I feel that big fat zero in spending, so that makes yeah. perfect sense to me. <laughs> hey, I got, I got a, <laughs> I got a joke for one. I got a joke for you guys. Why do, uh, why do Jewish women like circumcised penises? Because they like anything that's fifteen percent off. <laughs> that's fucked up that's messed up it's, it's not it's not wrong although yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna let phil take the lead on uh uh striking because i know he has a ton of questions he was gushing about your front kick finish so i'll just oh go for <laughs> yeah it. i have a actually just for people just for the fun fact for the people who watch this mm -hmm. so we made this interview because Josh Barnett replied to a tweet that I post about Pedro Munoz's kick. And he mm -hmm. said, oh, yeah, Munoz, he has great kicks. And he probably learned a lot from Victor. So I knew who you were at the time because I watched your fight when you fucked up Kanehara, which is one of mm -hmm. my favorite Japanese fighters. So I was like, okay. okay. That was a great fight, by the way. And um, okay. I just wanted to talk. Did you start Muay Thai after Taekwondo or did you never compete in Muay Thai before MMA? All right, so after Taekwondo, like I said, I started doing specifically Jiu-Jitsu. And then after I left the Gracie Academy, I started training at Legends. And I started working with my trainer, Jimmy Romero. And he told me, dude, you use your kicks way too much, and your hands are sloppy garbage. So let's pull away from the kicks, and let's start adding the hands. Okay, so I started using my hands more often, and then my Taekwondo kind of took a back seat for a while. After a while... And then after I started training with Josh Barnett, obviously uh, Josh Barnett at the time was working with Eric Paulson. And Eric Paulson has a, a, a such a vast knowledge of martial arts. It's, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's incredible. You know, it's, if, I could, if I could keep just 25% of what Paulson knows, I think I'll be an excellent Hall of Famer martial artist one day because he just knows everything about anything. He could disarm an elephant from on top of a, a motorcycle like he knows that much you know as far as martial arts um so guys would come in and we had guys like nikolai soniak from uh from france of course learning off eric paulson learning off uh, jerome LeBanner, coming in to work with josh and you know we just got such a wealth of striking knowledge just coming in through the doors all the time all the time so you know you pull things from here you pull things from there you pull things and of course one of my training partners shohei yamamoto i mean he's a kyokushin black belt high level guy so pulling things from him pulling things from everybody you know it, you know that helped shape my style to where i can adjust to basically any striking style if somebody wants to be a boxer on me then okay i can box with them and then i can apply my kicks if i spar if i fight somebody who's very traditional martial arts well i'm used to seeing that too because shohei yamamoto you know french kickboxing with savat muay thai i've, I've done time in thailand with um with uh, over in uh, Pathum Thani with Santianoi, which is where uh, Brian Popejoy and uh, the guy from Australia, what's his name? Uh, I forget his name. But, uh, you know, just a wealth of striking knowledge is always revolving, you know? So me constantly ad uh, adopting my fighting style to who I'm fighting, you know, mm -hmm. is, is paramount. So little known fact, I was supposed to fight Pedro Munoz. When we first started, you know, I, I was supposed to fight him in respecting the cage back when he was like three and oh, I think I was like one. No, 
he was 4-0, and I think I was 2-0. We were supposed to fight for the uh, the respect in the cage uh, title. But my medicals, you know, I got them all done, but they didn't come in time. So we both made weight, and then the fight just never happened. So then, oh. yeah, so then we're uh, we're in the same, you know, local scene, local scene. Um, Ed Soros hit me up one time to fight Pedro Munoz on, like, a week's notice. And I was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm down to fight and everything, but that's kind of a fight that I, kn- I already knew that they were, what the position was. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to feed him some guys. And I was down to fight Pedro. I just wanted a, a proper training camp, you know. To fight him on a week's notice, especially at that point, I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. So eventually, you know, Chad George hits me up over at CMMA and he's like, hey, yeah, come down, blah, blah, blah. So we start training again. And I've known Chad since I was 18 years old training with this, Training with training with Jim, Jimmy Romero, so training with Pedro Munoz, you know he's got a sick guillotine, sick headlock system, and uh, Chad has adopted a lot of his headlock system stuff. But when it came to the striking, you know, I think I had the edge on that because we were doing we were he was working more Brazilian style shoot box, uh, you know, even working with Rafael Cordero, you know, style where just power, speed, and go where I'm trying to do sneaky stuff. I'm trying to do the traditional martial arts stuff where I'm stabbing my, you know, poking my front kick in there and doing all this stuff. So we're learning off each other, you know, which is why I probably think that uh, Josh was thinking, oh, yeah, like, you know, that we train with together all the time. So that's probably where that front kick came from. I know he's got a lot of great coaches over in, uh, over at ATT and, and stuff like that. And he's even training with uh, Kyoji Horiguchi. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, added on top of with Kyoji. But so many great stuff that you said in your reply. Yeah, yeah so first, Pedro, is, he sent a lot of love to you. I interviewed him last week, and he had nothing but great things to say about you. Just doing the messenger here. Thank mm-hmm. you for the French love, for French kickboxing. I appreciate that. And, no, uh, <laughs> and actually, you mentioned that you were supposed to fight him after your second pro fight, which was after Gary Michaels, if I'm correct. I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and you mentioned that at first, so your kicks were, like, much better than your hands, and you had to, like, level up. Uh-huh. And you did something pretty cool in that fight. In the finishing sequence, you shifted, like, a one-two from orthodox uh-huh. to southpaw, which allowed you to cover the distance while you get your left hand, and then you left head kick him. And I was like, oh, for someone who doesn't have, like, that background with his hands, that was pretty sick, actually, because... You distract him with the hands and land the left left kick. So, mm-hmm. how would you say would have been the the person that helped you the most with getting your striking together? Like, if you have to name one person, Josh, Josh Barnett, because obviously he's my head coach. Um, he sees where I struggle and he sees where I excel. So he puts me in the places where I struggle. Like he goes, okay, I want you to pull back on this, but I want you to do more of this. You know. Because you're being so successful with this one tool, but I want you to learn the other tools. I started uh, boxing with uh, Josh's coach, Jamal Abdullah, who, who has professional fighters, professional boxers, I should say. Um, and he's picked up my hands, you know, my hand game a lot. And, you know, I can't, you know, when it, and also uh, Uchenna Anyakam, who, uh, who trains uh, Curtis Millinder, you know, that used to be in the UFC. Yeah. So, you know, it's just so many different striking styles. Of course, Jamal Abdullah is more of a, he's a boxing coach and he has solid old school basics, you know, solid, you know, we do calisthenics and then we box and then we do more calisthenics, you know, and then when it comes to, uh, Uchenna Anyakam, you know, he's got such a rangy game and speed and, and different angles and all that. And just learning how to use your footwork and he's not taking away from anything of mine. He's adding to it, you know? Um, so, when, when that final sequence, I knew that once I started touching my right hand, that I was going to be able to knock him out. Because I may not have a bunch of power, but I know that I, I can put, when I put it there, I know I can put it there right. So when I, in the first round, I, what was I? I was standing, I was standing uh, orthodox. I brought up my right leg and I set it down. And then that's what gave him that takedown because I was close, but I was too close. So he took me down and that was the end of the first round. So I knew, okay, I got to start. I got to start stepping on the gas, start putting it on, start putting it on. So when I brought that right leg up and he started backing up, I was like, okay, I got it now. So that's when I launched that left kick 
and then from from the southpaw, I launched the left kick, stepped down, and then threw my right hand with it. And then once that first one touched, well, I knew how to throw that second one. Boom, reload it, boom, hit him with that second one. And then, of course, go in and finish it off. I um, I heard, you know, that people were calling it that it was a quick stoppage. It was a quick stoppage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm going to stop when this referee tells me to stop. You know, I'm not going to keep going and just be, hey, you guys satisfied with the stop? But we have to remember that pride, I mean, uh, Ryzen, we can kick people, we can soccer kick. So at any point, if I wanted to pull back, I can soccer kick Kanahara, which would be only overkill at that point. You know, at that point, the fight was over. You know, yeah, if you took a kick him, I would probably cry. So thank you for not doing it. <laughs> and just before I give, I ask, I let Ben go in on, I just have a question. Where your nickname come from? All right. So my nickname <laughs> came because I'm half Mexican. And okay. Josh says, "All right, we need to we we need to uh, appeal to the to your Latin crowd, the you know what you know the Mexican people that might like you." And I was like, "Okay, well, my dad has been calling me El Monstro since I was a kid. Why not El Monstro, which means monster?" And then Josh goes, mm, "Nah, you're not much of a monster." And I was like, "Well, then what do you want from me, man?" <laughs> he goes, "All right." So then a couple a couple days later, he goes, "What about La Mangosta?" And I was like, "Really? You want to call me a mongoose?" So. La Mangosta calls me. It's it means the mongoose, and he goes, "Yeah, it's because you're a, you're like you're like you get into things and you're curious and then you're a little ferocious animal." And I was like, "Oh, all right, whatever. I'll be La Mangosta. I mean, I'm not happy with it, but you don't you don't choose your nicknames, so awesome. <laughs> it's it, it it does show how much he does know you because I, like when I'm wa- I'm watching your fights and I'm like. Yeah, that fits. That just fits. <laughs> that fits. Yeah. Well, I guess you're on his side. <laughs> I, I got. I got. Listen, I got a. I got a rep from my my guy Josh. I'm a huge. Yeah. Fan. Listen, huge fan of him forever. So might as well. Yeah. Uh, might as well support him. Um. All right. So let me talk about your grappling because I I watched a bunch of grappling matches, the the BI and stuff like that, and I watch your MMA fights and I watch your your your, your work in the clinch, and your ground and pound, and all of it is just. I feel like there's a lot that people should be looking at with your game and taking more away from it because you're, I mean, your cardio and pace are, are, are top flight. And we spoke with uh, Sean Madden, the elevation fight team uh, striking coach. And he was talking about how they constantly talk about pace, pace, pace. And the EFT guys mm-hmm. all have that, but you have that in spades too. And I think it's really important, but it's also the, the way you apply it when you're in the clinch, right? You strike into the clinch, whatever it is. There's never a moment where you're really resting, and there's never a moment you're allowing your opponent to rest. And that mm-hmm. forces engagements that are not necessarily to your opponent's advantage. Even if they get the takedown, you're immediately working to get up or to establish a submission attempt, something. And I want to know, was that is that just that's just your personality, or that's like a deliberate stylistic adjustment for your fights? And in like it, it's planned, I guess. Yeah. Or is it more just you? It's a little A and B, man. I mean. I get people in here and they're trying to they're trying to whip my ass all the time in practice anyways. Mm-hmm. That 100% I do get tired. I am just too stubborn to give up. <laughs> so I mean, I'm in the clinch and I'm tired. I mean, I was fighting Kyler Phillips over here at a local show in uh, in in Los Angeles and what's it called up? Uh, I remember Chad George yelling at me in the third round, two more minutes. And I, I remember thinking, are you goddamn kidding me? It's been an hour. I've been fighting this guy for an hour, but I just got to keep going. I have no choice but to keep going. Mm-hmm. I mean, the time is going to expire no matter how I feel. No matter how I feel, it's going to happen. You know, this, I'm in this situation no matter how I feel, so I got to start putting it on, start putting it on. I mean, for my training partners, I'm not the nicest guy as far as what I do. I'll elbow people on the shoulder. I'll put it in their ribs. I'll put my chin right in their shoulder blade. You know, I do all sorts of these little tactics because Josh has done it to me. <laughs> so that's what I'll do. I'll stay in there. I'll be, I'll be completely active. I'll do all sorts of whatever I need to do to get the win. You know, barring poking dudes in the eyes and right. you know, doing all this illegal stuff. But, you know, yeah, I get in there. I get tired. And I, then I get too stubborn to quit. So that's what I'm gonna do. And uh, the 
the the the method of takedown defense that you actually use also is very interesting because you 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 know you're not you there's very few people who you could describe as bulletproof. I would yeah. say like maybe Jose Aldo or something like that, right? But yeah. like, but when you get taken down, it's it's it you do use a lot of the same tactics as someone like Jose does. You're immediately hipping up and trying to force that momentum. You never let the momentum stop. Yeah. Uh, at what point? But you also will not let it stop by trying to get back up, or you'll immediately work for submissions. Is it just a feel thing for you when you do that, or is it more like based on? where you're ending up you'll choose to either try and get back up or try to attack submissions it's a field thing for me man um you know sometimes things are loose and i can feel them they're, they're close to my knee so i try to you know clear my knee and get the hell up mm-hmm. or sometimes they're just clamping so far on my hip that I, you know i'm not going to clear that knee so i might as well just start taking momentum left or right um you know so when i get in those exchanges i mean like i said um you know i was in here I'm, I was in here for for years with Pedro Munoz, shooting on me, taking me down, trying to choke my head, you know, do all that. And then, of course, I'm working with uh, guys like Michael Perez, who is the uh, the 125 LFA champ, and he's got a wealth of wrestling knowledge, you know. And then, of course, Chad's in here with the with his uh, with his grappling pedigree, you know, with combat uh, submission, uh, the slap jujitsu, <laughs> slap people in the face jujitsu. Um, you know, so I have these grapplers coming in on me and just wanting to hold me down so much. And I'm just like, dude, just let me stand up and punch you in the face, would you? And I know they're not going to let me do that. So I got to work. I got to work, 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 work. That's that makes sense. And again, leading, uh, not leading into it, the, the one of the other questions I have is how do you, the, the, there were, t- you have two, uh, you had two losses, uh, very close to each other, Silva and, um, uh, Ueda, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. And I happened to personally watching scoring those and didn't agree with the scoring there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to know how, how do you look at a fight like that and where, where do you grow? Cause like, I imagine you watch them and maybe, and with Josh and stuff like that, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure you guys scored them for you, may, you maybe, but mm-hmm. is it harder to learn from a loss that's so close where you did a lot of things really correctly and mm-hmm. could very arguably have won that fight or or is it h- harder to learn from that kind of loss or is it easier because just little tweaks i tell you what it's easier because at the end of the day josh has the same answer you should have finished them that's it you should have finished them if you know, I mean, with with Ueda and and uh, and Silva, they essentially both have the game, the same game plan. Mm-hmm. Let's hang on to me. Let's mm-hmm. not get punched, and let's you know try and not get tired. Of course, um, you see in that third round, I beat the holy crap out of Silva. Oh yeah. And then and then in the third round with Ueda, I just needed a little bit more space so I can get my my finish like I did the first time. You know, mm-hmm. um, in the in my second fight against Ueda. When I lateral when I lateral dropped him, so yeah, you know what? Um, actually, like for that for that fight, I didn't have trouble cutting weight, but just my body was not recovering. It was it was a hard one. Like I went into that fight kind of like a. I don't know if you guys uh, did. You guys see the uh, Ferguson Gaethje fight this uh, yeah, past weekend? Yeah. Yep. Do you guys notice how it kind of it kind of seemed like uh, Tony Ferguson was over it? Mm-hmm. I would, uh, the one thing I noticed specifically was like he didn't seem as um, obviously it's not an excuse like that's why like we're not doing that I'm sure but um, he looked um, I, I don't know I, I use this term like you know they still have a six pack but it's slightly melted I, I don't yeah. know how to put it so that's kind of, yeah. so he looked a little he like like skinny fat almost like he was obviously yeah. in yeah. great shape yeah. and stuff like that but he kind of looked a little bit and then I looked at pictures of him and video of him like from the previous fights I'm like. Yeah. He didn't seem as ready. It could have been from that yeah. second weight cut. Yeah. From what I noticed, just from fighter to another uh, competitor to another competitor, it just kind of seemed like to me like he was over it. Mm-hmm. Like you had been training for months for a certain opponent who was going to grapple the hell out of you. Yep. Only to find out he's not going to fight because of religious uh, reasons. And then he couldn't get out of the country. And then the whole co- uh, COVID thing happened. Then, you know, Everything is shut down. Is the fight going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Okay, it is going to happen, but where? And then, of course, making weight, and then all of a sudden having a, a late replacement who can wrestle but chooses to strike instead. 
So you're training for months and months and months only to have your your fight canceled and then come on and then canceled and then and then opponent switch. Like for me, I just when I see that, I kind of think, man, he's just kind of over it. Like he just wants like, dude, like my your emotions and everything is just so going left and right, left and right all the time. It's like, ah, oh, it's just over it. I was not over it when uh, when I fought Ueda, but my body was just not recovering properly. You know, I don't know if it was just vitamin P deficiency or, but it just you know when I when I um when I got to Japan I was tired. When I cut my weight I was tired, and when I fought I was tired. But that does not change the fact that I had a fight in front of me. Mm-hmm. I knew Ueda, Ueda was going to try to grapple me, and I wasn't able to finish him. Even when I had that triangle locked in in the first round, yep. just my legs were just like, uh, and I was even thinking, I remember catching myself thinking, man, I just need to finish this triangle, then I can go home and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the wrong attitude you got to have, man. You know, like, I'm in there, and now when every time I go in there, uh, the first thing I think is I got to make this person suffer as much as possible. Because then that brings it out of me to actually perform, perform, perform. Um, yeah, so in short, to answer your question, it's easy. Finish people. Finish people. You know, if you don't finish them, you're going to probably lose because for the most part, I've been set up in my career. I've been set up to lose. It's always the up-and-comer guy or it's, Oh, I'm flying into their country to to fight these guys. You know, I go into Japan, and obviously my first fight in Japan, I was set up to lose. You know, uh, my first fight against um, uh, Tokoro, I was mm-hmm. I was brought out brought out there to lose. My second fight against Ueda, was brought out there to lose. You know, every time I've been in a in a underdog situation, when I flew out to Russia, oh, they didn't want me to win, but I won. <laughs> you know, so I go out there and I. You know, I just got, I just had a mentality change. I was like, I got to go out there and make these people suffer. And who else better to have a coach to make people suffer than Josh, right? <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. If I may just jump back on this, you talk mm-hmm. about getting getting finishes. And so after those few loss in Pancras, you had that amazing finish at Deep 85, the one we mentioned with the front kick. That was mm-hmm. so dope. And then you won a lot of fights, like you're an eight win streak right now. And your mm-hmm. last three victories are from finish to submission, one TKO, I think. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the opposite. And so let's talk about now. I would just like to know, like, your, your division is rising right now. It's pretty wide open because, like, the former champ is coming back from an injury, Oiguchi, mm-hmm. who lost a non-title fight but still lost. Yeah. And Manuel Cape, who beat Asakura, I think he is going to sign to the UFC. No, he is with the UFC. Okay, and when you fought Kanehara, he was kind of brought up as he's coming back, he's going to beat that American and going to fight for the title, and you spoiled all those plans. So where mm-hmm. do you think you fit in that wide-open division right now? I think I'm perfectly in the middle. And the reason why I say that is because I know that Ryzen wants to have a Japanese champion. Of course, you know, it, it looks good on Ryzen. I understand, you know. But I do feel like I can I can compete and beat anybody that they can throw at me. I do know that it's going to be hard. I, I don't think I'm just going to walk through people. But I do believe that they're going to throw me in there. with. They're either going to, A, throw me in there with somebody they think is going to kill me, or B, give me somebody and just let me go. So I think I fit right in the middle. And anywhere I want to go, I think I can, you know. Uh, you mentioned Horaguchi. I, I, I wish him the best in, in recovery and he's, he's, he's a great competitor and he's nice. And I trained with him to get him ready for, uh, his kickboxing fight against tension. But I know that, you know, if we fought, we would still eat sushi together. We would still eat Brazilian barbecue together, you know, just like we did over in uh, Florida. I was helping him. I was helping him get ready for that fight. And then one night he goes, Hey Vic, let's go eat. I said, that's fine. So we went to an all-you-can-eat sushi and Brazilian barbecue spot. And I feel bad because I was there, and I was eating, and I was eating, and I was eating. And he was like, oh, I'm done. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kept getting up and getting food, getting up, get food. He's like looking at me, get up and get food, looking at his clock, looking at his thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, did you want to go? He goes, no, it's all right. Keep going, keep going. I was like, nah, I know you're trying to go home and sleep. Like, it's been two hours. We're trying, and I'm still feeding my face. 
So, you know, he's like I say, he's he's so he's he's respectable. He's and he is he is a proper champion because he's nice and he's approachable and he's not he's not standoffish and he's a great champion. You know, he he fights and he does well. You know, so I wish him all the all the best in in recovery. Um, as far as uh, Asaku, uh, Kai Asakura goes, you know, it was weird. I was talking to my, uh, it was, I was talking to Uchenna that, about that night because that's the night I fought Trent Gurdum. Yeah, I was, I was uh, talking to my striking coach and I told him, hey, I don't know why, but I think there's going to be an upset. He goes, why? And I was like, I have no reason to tell you. I just kind of got feeling. And then it happened and I was like, well, I should have yeah. bet. <laughs> yeah, I should have bet, but you know, I, I was walking around in the crowd with my zebra pants, and everybody was kind of looking at me like, "Oh yeah, it's Victor." Yeah, <laughs> yeah 2019 was kind of like a bad year for the karate boxing guy, like Whitaker or Gucci. But anyway, yeah, what you say, and you said something that I like, like oh, you carry yourself also, and like when you beat Kanea, you 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 gave him a lot of respect post fight, and that's yeah. the most important question I had for you is that how awesome it is to fight in Japan. And having this experience for you guys from California to add so many fights in Japan. And can you talk about your experience and being in a mixed martial artist who fights in Japan a lot? Yeah. So, um, so originally my first, like I said, my, my first fight in Japan, I was brought out there to lose, of course. Um, after I won, I made it a point to be as friendly with anybody who came, you know, because even Josh told me, he's like, listen, man, the Japanese crowd, as far as MMA is much different than, uh, than, than the, than the American crowd because you know sometimes here in the American crowd you'll even when I have some wins of course the the house is packed with the other guys fans and then I hear boo even though I knocked the guy out or I choked him you hear boo and it's like well sorry dude I beat your guy or whatever in Japan they'll 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 like you for no matter what you went in there and you fought your ass off and you still lost they still give you the respect you go in there and you win they're there to celebrate with you you know um, they'll buy you a drink. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll give you gifts, all sorts of just random things. You know, I remember, uh, well, this wasn't in Japan, but over in Russia, I got a, it was like a gingerbread house. What? Weird. Like, yeah, I guess somebody, somebody gave me, a, me and Josh, like a gingerbread house. And they're, they were, they were buying a bunch of, uh, buying us a bunch of drinks and everything. And, you know, personally, I don't drink, but I was just like, yeah, here you go, Josh. Here's some vodka. Here's a, uh, my shot of vodka and everything. So, you know, Again, in Japan, you know, they're real respectful, they're real quiet. Um, before this whole uh, COVID-19 thing hit, I remember being in the, being in the hotel lobby and uh, a fan would come up to me, ask to shake my hand and sign something, but he would, dis he, would, uh, he would spray my hand with disinfectant, spray his hand with disinfectant, shake hands, sign, sign, the, sign their poster, and then disinfect again. I thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> they they were practicing in advance for this. Yeah, well, here's the thing. They wanted to. Uh, they wanted to make. I know they wanted me to feel like I was safe and that they were safe right. and everything. You know, so that's why I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna go out of my way to be able to to uh, to be a, a proper uh, a proper fighter and a good role model and, and things like that to go there. Uh, with I, I don't know if you have to go right now or if you have. We're a... still good. Uh, cool. We're still good. Uh, speaking of the the wide open division, you're right in the middle of it. Assuming you know fights start getting booked in the nearish future, mm -hmm. what do you want next? Who do you have anyone in particular you want to fight next? Uh, assuming Horiguchi's not ready yet anytime soon, is mm -hmm. Asakura? Do you want to rematch? Uh, do you want to rematch with um, uh, Ishtari? Um, what are you looking for? I'm only looking to fight, man. Um, as far as MMA math, um, the fight that Ishiwatari and I had for Pancras, mm -hmm. uh, people still talk about it with me. Mm -hmm. That was a hell of a fight. I was like, yeah, I agree. It was a hell of a fight. But that wouldn't make sense for me right now, seeing how he came off a lot and I'm coming right. off a couple. So as far as MMA math, um, I think it would be a great fight, but yeah. it would make sense for me. Um, I, of course, want to fight for the title. You know, I want to I want to I want to go for that title. Um, but as far as people, I don't necessarily feel like I need to call people out because mm -hmm. the top of the top of the food chain is the top of the food chain and they're all, uh, 
prospective opponents. You know, I can, I think I can compete with all of them, and if all if any of them want it, then they can come and get it. Uh, if you if you pull off the title, which I think Phil and I both agree is a very strong possibility, should you get that opportunity, uh, I don't know what the the relationship between Ryzen and One is. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you would you try and push for an opportunity to fight uh, DJ? Let's go. <laughs> DJ because at one thirty five. One thirty five. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Possibly. Because if DJ, well, I know that DJ is walking around smaller than I am. Right. So if we go by the, uh, if we go by the, uh, by the one federation uh, weight cutting rules, then I might have to fight at 45. Right. Well, yeah, how much so, weight do you cut? I cut about 15 pounds. I okay. get my weight to about 150 and then I cut to, uh, and then I cut to uh, 35. Right. I think all those people that like, I mean, Hannah Burrell was a great competitor. But the dude was heavy. He was walking yeah. around like a 170, getting to 35. And it's like, dude, you're going to mess up your body. And, uh, I mean, there was a time, you know, where people would be like, oh, you want to be as big as possible. And I understand right. you want to be big because you want to – but, you know, that I, I never felt that was that was the right way because you get into rounds three, four, and five, and your body is shutting down because you didn't, you didn't rehydrate popular, properly – or especially now with the UFC and implementing no IVs, you know, you can't, you know, you can't do that to your body and recover and fight a human being trying to take your head off. You know, it's just not feasible. So I actually think that me being lighter is an advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Kanahara went in there and he looked swole. He was yeah. swole patrol. You know, <laughs> he was in there. A great tan, a great head of hair, and he was muscular as hell. And I even tell Josh, he's like, dude, we're making 135. Why does he look so much bigger than me at 135? It's because I got big bones or something. So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, as far as, you know, fighting DJ, yeah, I'm down. You know, I mean, we, uh, we both got, uh, you know, Josh's original coach, Matt Hume. Right. And then, of course, you know, his coach being Matt Hume, I think that would be a I think that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty fun, you know. You guys oh, yeah. gotta remember that I've said for a long time. For me, it's not about fighting. It's about martial arts. Right. And it's not about who I fight for. It's about the experience that I get, being able to travel, being able to fight. This fighting is a great vehicle for me to go around, experience different cultures, fight for. You know, of course, I love competing and fighting and everything, but going out to Japan. Going out to Thailand, going out to China, going out to all these countries—it's been—it's been a dream of mine since I was a kid. In Southgate, you know, just looking at you know looking at my roof, sleeping on a bed on the floor. You know, I didn't—I mean, I didn't have a room to myself until I was in my late twenties because I finally moved out, and then I was able to you know support myself a little, and then you know, and then be eventually be able to travel. You know, so now that I'm able to do that, yes, of course, you know, let's go, let's go experience the world. You know, I feel, you know, I feel bad kind of for the people who only decide that their dream is to fight for the UFC. Now, the UFC, of course, great company. They have the top, you know, a lot of the top fighters in the world. I'm not saying they have the top fighters in the world because then you have some people, you know, getting cut by UFC and then they go to one and they get knocked the hell out, right. you know, or they come to Ryzen and then they're, you know, so, you know, the landscape of things is not just like, oh, if you're in the UFC, you're the cream of the crop and that's it. Arguably, the top five in the UFC are probably the best in the world. Arguably, you know. But I mean, Eddie Alvarez, what did he do? He came in from a from a lesser organization, and then he worked his way to the top. He became the champion, and then he went a, a champion of the UFC. Had a rough skit for a little bit, went to one, and then just got mopped. Where it's like, okay, well, that kind of answers the question: is like, is the UFC the the top of the top, or do they have a lot of the great a lot of great fighters? but not the, all of them are the best, you know? So, like I said, I feel bad for a lot of these fighters that, that go out there and they only experience the United States, but they're fighting for the UFC. So it's like, okay, well, I'm experiencing the world fighting a bunch of other people, and then eventually I, I would, don't get me wrong, I do want to fight for the UFC one day. I right. do want to go out there and, and try my medal against theirs. But I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's a fair analysis for people to be like, oh, if you didn't fight in the UFC, therefore you're not great. You're not good. It's like, no, there's a lot of really good people out there who don't fight for the UFC. 
you know, okay. but they're also traveling the world. They're getting to see other things, you know. That's one I mean, of the Fedor never fought yeah. for the UFC, for example. No, go ahead, Phil. No, just say, like, for example, Fedor Emilienko, he never fought for the UFC. And of course. He's going to say that he's not, like, one of the best TV writers ever, so. Yeah, mm. and that's that's one of the things that, that uh, us in, at the fights that we specifically, we care more about just, like, we look at a fighter objectively and go, like, how good are you? We don't mm -hmm. care if you're ranked highly. We don't care where you fight. Like if you're if you're a good fighter, you're just a good fighter, and those things can be objectively seen. Uh, for example, we look at the guys in the uh, I think it's now ACB, uh, mm -hmm. and we are massive marks for them. Uh, Edward Vertanian, AAA, uh, Ali Bagov, and all those guys. Like we've written whole series on them, and these are people like people in the U.S. have never heard of them. Like people, yeah. like, they would get mopped by like a top fifteen guy. Like no, these guys are. Some of the best lightweights and welterweights and featherweights and all these things in the world and people don't even know they exist so yeah. it just to your point like it would be it would be foolish for people to automatically assume the ufc is the end-all be-all um and like you said you eventually do if you get the chance and opportunity if it makes sense you know i would love to see you fight the guys in the ufc there's a lot of awesome matchups for that uh, for you um uh another question i have is are there any fighters that you're just a fan of that you just really like enjoy watching because i know some fighters just don't watch at all <laughs> they mm. just train and compete and there are fighters who are just nerds for the sport um, yeah where do you fall on that and do you have any fighters that you really are just a huge fan of so i've always been a real huge fan of um i, I had his name but then i lost it um he he was a fireman and we're not talking about uh Stipe. yeah he was, a, say... he was a fireman and he uh he fought in the ufc ah what's his name it's, it sucks as I say he, I'm a fan of Chris Lytle. Oh, Lytle, yeah. Oh, I love Lytle. Oh, my God. So, it's always, always entertaining to watch. And then yes. he fought uh, Dan Hardy, and then he, he knee-barred him, right? He, yeah. That, he had a bunch yeah. of crazy fights. I can, I can see where how Justin Gaethje is the new Chris Lytle. He, he can wrestle. I'm not, I'm, I, we haven't really seen that much of uh, Gaethje's uh, submission game, but he can wrestle and he could swing and knock people the hell out. So I'm a fan of that. Uh, Israel Adesanya, he's doing amazing things with uh, his striking. You know, um, what's funny is that Uchenna, my coach, one of my coaches, he goes, Bro, I've been speaking on this stuff for a long time and Israel Adesanya is doing it. And I keep telling my coach, but. I'm 5'7", and I am not Nigerian. <laughs> so, I don't have that athleticism. I don't have that kind, but I am working on it. You know, I am working on it. But, you know, a lot of, that, a lot of the stuff my, you know, my coach is teaching me, and what's funny is that Curtis Millinder will actually hit me up sometimes be like, that's Uchenna stuff. That's Uchenna stuff. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, you know, uh, Adesanya is really fun to watch. Um, Henry Cejudo's good from a from no, 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 but <laughs> from a, uh, from a uh, professional to professional standpoint but mm -hmm. if i'm going to step back and just be a fan eh, a little cringe yeah it was not, <laughs> it's like okay yeah you set this game plan and of course 100 you go in there to win you gotta right. do what you gotta do to win but if I'm just going to be this guy who is just like, I, I'm just a fan. I want to see somebody go on out there and just and just go for it. Gaethje, he's doing it. Um, it's in Barbosa. He's fun to watch. You know, you know, El Kukui, of course, Tony Ferguson. He's fun to watch. Oh, it's funny. I got a little funny story about uh, Tony Ferguson. So there is a uh, there's a meat store, which we call a carneseria, you know, in Spanish. Mm -hmm. There's a meat store over in Southgate. And I used to go over there every every other couple of days after practice. I go and I eat, you know, get a burrito, get whatever. And then the guy, the the new owner, he he looks at me. He goes, "Hey, do you know who El Cucuy is?" Because he sees my ears. <laughs> he goes, "You know who El Cucuy is?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Yeah, do you know El Cucuy from the fighter, the fighter?" And I'm like, "Yeah, why?" He goes, "He's married to my cousin." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool, man." So apparently, I have a I have a I have a close Closer relationship to uh, Tony Ferguson than I know. <laughs> he married to my cousin. All right, dog, that's cool, man. So where's my burrito, man? Where's my burrito? <laughs> that's great. I love that. 
Um, Phil, before, uh, do you have any other questions? For yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think it's great what you said, like, about, like, me from the fight side, I'm, like, the guy who loves action fighters. And I kind of, like, don't care about win or loss when I watch, like, a fighter's career. I just watch the fights. Of course, for you, it's different. You want to win. You want to to be able to move uh, in your career. But, like, you mentioned, like, Chris Little, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say his name, I thought about, like, three fights of him, like the mm-hmm. Thiago Alves, stuff like this. And it happened that he lost those fights. But that's the first one I remember because they were, like, awesome fights. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, in boxing, like the, the Morales Barrera, I don't care who won, who lost, I just remember, all oh, those fights, they were just like, the best, maximum effort, you know, that's all you can yeah. ask from athletes. And I yeah. think that you, be, you already had that uh, state of mind in the small documentary that Ben mentioned from MMAfighting.com like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And going from, to Japan, they, they, they embrace that mentality, like you said, like you can lose if you give everything you have you'll be celebrated like yeah and uh, and i feel it's very refreshing for for even for us to meet martial artists like you that really live that martial artist life you mm. know like to just to improve as a person to help people to help yourself to and to get better and just not being like i want to win i want to make the most money so i, I want to thank you for this it's very cool for us to, to meet guys like you to talk with you about martial arts and um because you said like even when you were young you were kind of like not different but you have like your own way of seeing things and it's mm-hmm. a way to express yourself and that if there was martial arts you'd probably be struggling in your everyday yeah. life so yeah. yeah so you probably give inspiration to people who have like a nine to five job and and kind of are too scared to move on and i feel it what you do is great don't you give hope to people i just want well, to say i appreciate that. it i really appreciate it and and to go to uh the the point that you said where you want to see people improve you know, we have a number of amateurs on our team. And, of course, they always want to win. Everybody wants to go undefeated. You know, everybody wants to. But anytime our amateurs lose, but they lose in a way where they improved on the things that were sticking points to them. Maybe they couldn't get takedowns, but they were getting takedowns. Maybe they just got submitted. Or they're wrestlers, and they don't want to strike at all, but they actually stayed striking, and maybe they lost a three-round decision. We embrace people getting better you know i'm in here with the amateurs and i'll put myself in the worst positions so they can do something i will purposely not do something just so they can work on getting better in a certain area and it you know i you know a lot of the you know a lot of friends of mine they you know they say oh well victor doesn't have any kids and blah blah blah, so he can do this and i'm like that wasn't an accident (laughs) you know i chose at when i was 18 i was like i'm gonna I'm going to live this martial arts lifestyle. I'm going to get up. I'm going to train. I'm going to go to work. And then I'm going to go back to training. And then I'm going to rest for a couple hours. And then I'm going to go train again. You know, I always, I always tell I always tell amateurs and people who are, who are new to this. It's never about what I can't do. It's always about what I can do. You know, there have been times where my legs are messed up from whatever, you know, crazy circuit that my, that, that Josh put me through. Or maybe I just have a hard fight and my legs are hurting. So, but I still got to get conditioning done. So what do I do? I sit on my butt and I get the battling ropes and I go for it. It's never about what I can't do. It's about what you can do. And if all I can do right now is throw a jab, and then guess what? That's all I'm going to do, you know, but that's the martial arts lifestyle. I learned to get my, I, I learned to get the, uh, the lessons I learned in martial arts and apply them to, uh, apply them to my life, you know, and it always comes back to the same thing. What can, what can you do? If I can't do this, well, I can do this, so I'm gonna do that, and I'm always gonna work to to better myself. And I think that's one of the reasons why Josh has accepted me as a fighter because he he sees that I will try to improve myself no matter how uncomfortable it is for me. Except for reading books. Oh man, he's throwing <laughs> some books at me, and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to read. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Victor. That was pretty inspiring, pretty awesome. I don't have any more question. I don't know, Ben, but uh, thank you so much. That was awesome talking with you. I was going to oh, say, thank you very much. dude, I was going to say this off camera, but like, I, I genuinely appreciate everything you just said so much because you described a lot of, uh, I didn't, you know, come from as crazy a uh, street situation as you for sure. No question. I came from like an Orthodox Jewish home. It's not like mm-hmm. that growing up on the mean streets of uh religious Jewish Flatbush in Brooklyn, you know? Okay. But 
but like I didn't have a, a, and a friends. I, I, I was like the weird kid. That was the kid uh-huh. who would sit and read the history books. And like when everyone's going to play sports, I'm like, I'm watching like cartoons and anime and all that stuff. And so like growing up, like I didn't have friends. And I grew up in that situation where it was like, I was the, the odd one out, the, the weird one. The, the, the mm-hmm. And I also eventually turned to martial arts the same way. I turned to MMA, I turned to jujitsu. So mm-hmm. hearing you just describe, like, just get better. Don't worry about the losses. It's what can do. And it's things that I think a lot of people need to know and hear growing up because a lot of people in that situation and don't know what to do. And it's just like be yourself and do do what will make you grow in the way you want to grow. And don't worry about it. And I think that absolutely. absolutely describe you as you absolutely you're forging your own path. And I love it. And I felt that actually like really I really did. Um yeah, I don't have any more questions. I just wanted to let you know that. That actually really was awesome to hear you say that. Oh, uh, one more thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> when you get your ne- next fight book, can we can we do it again? Absolutely. Oh, right. yeah. Dope. Oh, awesome. yeah. I would love to get more to actual training camp, too, like during the training camp. It'd be really cool to like get more insight into that. Um, well, Victor, again, thank you so much. You stayed for a lot longer than we thought you would, so um, we really appreciate that. Uh, before we sign off, anything you want to plug, anything you want to say, shout out before we go? Yeah, man, I'd like to thank the Bowery and Fullerton for sponsoring me. Uh, Cold Steel Knives. Uh, if you're out in uh, if you're out in uh, Japan, go to Mel Justice Bar. They got some good stuff. If you're out in LA, go to Gentleman uh, Gentleman's Fight Club over there um, in LA Chinatown. Uh, it's right across from a place called Holland Rays, and they got good fried chicken. Go for it. <laughs> also, Halio, I'd like to thank them for. Uh, for sponsoring me on my on my supplements because you know what keeping weight on these skinny bones is hard but they're managing to keep me buff so we're good man and i'd like to thank you know guys like you guys like you actually you know get my exposure out there and you know a lot of times you know that's what we need we need exposure and guys like you are helping guys like us out anytime you're welcome anytime if you want to just come watch some fights with us and we can commentate if you want to do another interview if you want to you know watch some fights we'll drink and we'll drink we'll drink if you want, if you're not we'll into drink. that. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, thank you so much again. Uh, Phil, thank you for helping me and joining me with this one. Um, My pleasure, brother. Uh, remember, check out the fight site. Fantastic content. Make sure you support uh, Victor. Follow him on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever he's got. Make sure you go and follow him. Uh, send him some love. Tell him you found him through the fight site and send him some love. Uh, make sure you uh, support us on the Patreon. Follow us on YouTube, subscribe, like, comment. That definitely helps us out. Apple, Stitcher, uh, and there's a th- Spotify. Uh, thank you again, yeah, Victor. Have a great day. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to the next time you fight and just talking to you again. Thanks again for having me, guys.